Please hear this reading from the Gospel of Luke. Jesus also said to the disciples, a certain rich man heard that his household steward was wasting his estate. He called the steward in and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Give me a report of your administration because you can no longer serve as my steward. The household steward said to himself, what will I do now that my master is firing me as his steward? I'm not strong enough to dig and I'm too proud to beg. I know what I'll do. I, I know what I'll do so that when I'm removed from my management position, people will welcome me into their houses. So one by one, the steward sent for each person who owed his master money. He said to the first, how much do you owe my master? He said, 900 gallons of olive oil. The manager said to him, take your contracts, sit down quickly and write 400 gallons. Then the manager said to the other, how much do you owe? And he said, 1,000 bushels of wheat. The manager said, take your contract and write 800. The master commended the dishonest steward because he acted shrewdly. People who belong to this world are more clever in dealing with their peers than are people who belong to the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to make friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal homes. Come on, people, think about it. The Pharisee blurted out to the small crowd around him, shooting questions left and right. It's impractical. You do what he says, and what'll happen to you? That morning, a few of them had found the Pharisee in the marketplace, eager to ask someone they trusted about the rabbi Jesus. And after facing a growing crowd that refused to leave and come back later, the Pharisee was now doling out irritated admonishments. He would have you abandon the wealth that God has blessed you with, the livelihoods that God has appointed you to, those fishermen that run with him. They had stable incomes, respectable work as skilled fishermen. They had good families. Now what do they have? If you want to listen to him, then it's a decision to leave common sense and practicality behind you. Practicality? Echoed a mindful voice from beyond the crowd. It was a customer who had been admiring the work of a weaver a short distance away, half listening to the Pharisee. As he turned, the Pharisee recognized the half smile and the relaxed eyes. Of course, he thought to himself resentfully, Jesus would be here. As he approached, the crowd began to recognize him as well. Now you raise a good point, Jesus continued thoughtfully. To abandon concerns for one's future would indeed be foolishness. The Pharisee wasn't sure what to do with this. 
Jesus, now next to the Pharisee, turned to address the crowd. Allow me to tell you a story about another practical man with a comfortable income, a reputable post, and you may judge between us who has planned for their future more shrewdly with a rebellious fire in his eyes he started to tell his story the steward cast his lots across the dirty barn floor his eyes cool but focused morning sunlight casts a golden pattern across the floor littered with straw Five farmhands crowded in close, eyes equally keen on the clattering dice. To the steward, they seemed to roll on for days and stop only after careful deliberation, but when they did, victory. He flew to his feet with a triumphant roar, while the others grumbled in exasperation. Same time next week, gentlemen, the steward chided, kneeling down to collect the pile of coins. The farmhands exchanged menacing looks. No one noticed the steward's servant peer timidly through the barn door, scanning the room for his employer. <clears throat> Sir, he said, clearing his throat once he found the steward, who threw him a quick glance as he continued to pocket his silver. Ah, come in. What is it? Uh, Sir, the steward continued, choosing instead to keep his distance from the surly farmhands. I just received word that the master uh, wants to see you. Oh, does he now? The steward replied. He picked up the last coin and stood, finding himself face to face with a stone-faced farmhand blocking his way. So the boss man found out you've been gambling with the commoners instead of inspecting the crops, he growled smugly. The steward, unfazed, wiped some straw from the man's shoulder. My melodious friend, he cooed, I'm flattered by your concern. But I have been doing this job for a long time, you see, and I have earned the old man's utmost trust. Still smiling, he gave a subtle head jerk to the side, and the farmhand bitterly submitted and stepped aside. Gentlemen, the steward saluted condescendingly as he followed his servant out of the barn. When they had gone a few steps, the servant glanced back over his shoulder. Uh, pardon me asking, sir, he began nervously, but that wasn't the money the master gave you to pass on to the tenant to hire more harvesters, was it? That would be ridiculous, the steward said, waving the question away. Now, have you any notion why the old man might want to see me this morning? No, sir, I'm afraid not, replied the servant. Ah, well, said the steward with confidence. The farms are fine. It can't be too serious. An hour later, he stood in the master's courtyard in total shock. I'm dismissed, he stammered weakly. The moment he'd entered into the courtyard, his servant trailing behind him, he had picked up on some tension. Approaching the master, he bowed, but before he could open his mouth in greeting, the master said, what is this I hear about you? Now, the steward was a shrewd man. He learned it was best not to admit to crimes of which he had not yet been accused, so he feigned curiosity. Well, I'm sure I don't. The master, impatient, cut him off. A tenant has told me that their farmhands seem to disappear while you're around. And when he asked a few questions, it became clear that you were distracting them. Further inquiry has revealed that you have squandered quite a bit of my money I've entrusted you with for some time now. So what is it that you're sure you don't? 
The steward's blood ran cold. The jig was up. He knew he was going to jail, so he could only keep silent. I own land, the master continued with measured anger. Quite a bit of it. I rent it out. Tenants farm the land, and in return, they give me a fixed amount of their crop. You know, you know the size of this undertaking, the resources that it takes. You know it requires a family that I can trust. You, most of all, keep track of what they owe, visit the farms, check in with the tenants to make sure the money moves where it needs to move. You have the most critical job, and if I can't even trust you to... He trailed off, just disappointed. They'd been working together for some time, and the master felt deeply betrayed. Friend... He finally concluded, give us an accounting of your management because you're dismissed. The next thing he knew, he was sitting stunned and hot on the stone steps in front of his master's house. In his days, he was vaguely aware of someone sitting next to him. I'm sorry, they said. It was his servant, he realized. Well, his former servant, because how could he employ him now? I'm a steward, he lamented, unable to look at his servant. It's what I am. What am I now? He thought of going home. His money dried up. No food, no friends. What would he do now? I'm not strong enough to dig, he lamented out loud. His stomach turned at the thought of working alongside the farmhands he'd once been able to command with just a jerk of his head. And I could never make it begging. He went on, I'm going to die out there. He teetered on the edge of total panic when another voice broke in. Oh, good, there you are. It was one of the master's managers, the one in charge of harvest storage and commerce. Have you been able to visit the North Bethany property? They asked, too caught up in their work to notice the steward's sad state. I just need to review how many bushels of wheat we're expecting before I can allocate silos this year. And there was a moment of silence, and when it became clear that the steward wasn't going to respond, the former servant finally took pity and broke the silence. You must not have heard yet, but the steward grabbed the servant's leg hard. 700 bushels of wheat, the steward said with a broad smile. The manager looked confusedly between the steward and the servant. Uh, okay, thanks, he said continuing into the master's residence with a puzzled expression. Once the manager was out of earshot, the steward released his grip. What are you doing? The shocked servant asked him, rubbing his leg. The manager doesn't yet know I've been dismissed. The steward carefully finished the servant's sentence with a look that made the servant uneasy. I know how to get out of this, the steward said decisively turning away and doing some calculations in his head. He knew there was only one way, and that the clock was ticking. The steward waited at his home, fingers drumming eagerly on his wooden table. Oh, if this doesn't work, he thought to himself, considering how much was on the line. But before he could finish his thought, the servant knocked on the doorframe. Yes, come in, come in, the steward exclaimed as he jumped up and flew across the room. 
The servant, servant stepped aside and ushered a nervous and confused tenant farmer who tended land south of the city inside. Good to see you. Please come in, the steward greeted again as he shook the farmer's hand vigorously. I was told that you needed to see me urgently, the disoriented farmer inquired. Uh, is everything... I'm afraid there's no time to catch up, the steward interrupted, deaf to the farmer's words. Full docket, you see, but if you'll just have a seat, he gestured to a stool by the table and sat down himself, ruffling through some documents. Finding what he was looking for, he laid a ledger down on the table. Tell me, the steward asked, how much is it exactly that you owe my master? The farmer gazed down at the ledger. A hundred baths of oil, sir, he replied, gesturing to the document. It's written just there. A hundred baths indeed, the steward nodded quickly. But you see, as I seem to recall, you have been dealing with leaf spot on your olive trees this year. Is that correct? Well, that should limit your yield a bit this season. The steward waited expectantly. I, well, yes, said the farmer. I expect it'll bring us down to about, well, I've spoken to the master on your behalf, the steward barreled on, explaining your problem, your sincere efforts to deal with it, and the reality that it will impact the harvest. I pointed out to him, you see, that it would make it very difficult for you and your family to pay the previously agreed upon amount and still turn any kind of profit yourselves. Well, in the end, I convinced him to reduce your debt to only 50 baths of oil, if you should be agreeable to the amendment, of course. And then the steward held his breath. The farmer was stunned. I, uh, yes, uh, of course, he responded with joy. Thank you, sir. I, May you and your master be blessed for your mercy. What you have done... Yes, thank you indeed, the steward said with a forced smile. But as I said, I'm afraid I'm in a bit of a hurry today, so I need you to go ahead and adjust the ledger just here. He slid the document across the table with a stylus on top. The overjoyed farmer bent down to make his mark, and the servant began waving desperately to get the steward's attention. What are you doing? He mouthed frantically. The steward made a decisive and fierce gesture to knock it off and then smiled again as the, the farmer looked up, finished signing. For your kindness, sir, I am forever in your debt, the farmer said as they both stood. And to the steward's embarrassment, the farmer embraced him. Anything you need, my family and I are your servants, said the farmer, letting go. The steward nodded and smiled as if it were nothing. Well, you're kind, sir, he said, ushering the farmer back out the door. And you know I may take you up on that very soon. They disappeared through the door, leaving an awestruck servant behind them. He was trying to sort out whether he felt more impressed, appalled, or terrified. Because he was an unwitting part of this now. The steward blasted back through the door, finding the servant. What are you doing, he demanded, snapping his fingers. Move! Do you have any idea how many farmers we need to get here before they learn that I've been dismissed? By the end of the day, the steward stood once again, exhausted, in the master's courtyard. And this time, the master paced around him as he spoke. I've just received news, he began slowly, as though trying to grasp his own words that nearly a dozen of my tenants are preparing a banquet for me in town. The steward kept his eyes straight ahead. Is that so? 
I hear, the master continued evenly, that it is a celebration to praise my abundant generosity and mercy. I've had a look at the ledgers, and it turns out I am quite generous and merciful. He stopped face to face with the steward, which is news to me. The steward said nothing. Now I could head down there and set things straight, he said, continuing to pace. I could tell them that my former steward has taken us for a ride, that I'm not nearly as generous or merciful as they have been led to believe, but that wouldn't make me look very good, now would it? Doesn't sound like it would, sir, no, the steward answered. The master stopped in front of him again and looked at him hard for several long moments. Tell me, son, he finally said, his face betraying a hint of a smile. How did you know it would work? How did you know I wouldn't send you to the jailer as soon as I heard? There were a few more moments of silence. Well, to be honest, sir, said the steward cautiously, it's because you are actually generous and merciful. I gambled everything on it. You could have sent me to the jailer this morning, but you didn't. I, I betrayed your trust. I hurt you, but you still had enough mercy to let me go free. So when I knew I was out of options, I risked everything on the hope of that continued grace. And at this, the master actually laughed out loud. He made his way to the chair in front of the room. Well, I'll give you this, kid, he said, sitting down. I don't think I've ever met a more shrewd or practical person than you've proved yourself to be today. You'll live on in their gratitude for a long time yet. He shook his head once more. Well done. Jesus finished his story, and the Pharisees stared at him in bewilderment. So he cheats and he lies his way into security, and you're calling that... A good thing? Jesus took a moment to evaluate the Pharisee's question. Tell me, he responded, if Rome were to march on us tomorrow morning and grind our homes into dust, would your wealth survive? Would it bring you security then? Or if next week someone conspired to falsely accuse you of the most heinous blasphemy, would your life as a Pharisee not be over? Would it continue to wrap you in privilege or importance? What would you be then? What I am praising here is the steward's practicality. What I am praising is his shrewdness in recognizing that all he thought would make him safe would soon be gone, that the clock was ticking, and for seizing the chance to invest in such a way that his future would actually be secure. What I'm saying, friends, is this. Security based on worldly resources is an illusion. So put your resources into the service of that which is real, eternal. Because though you may not realize it yet, your clock is ticking as well. So use your wealth now to buy the kind of treasure that moths can't eat and thieves can't steal. Invest everything in the kingdom, in love, because these things won't fade away.
He looked out over the crowd, larger than it was when he began his story. He looked over the well-off, wrapped safely in their illusions, thinking themselves practical but utterly unprepared for that lonely day when their power failed them. He looked out over the poor, many of which knew well where real treasure hid. Jesus turned back to the Pharisee. Now, he said, judge for yourselves. Who among us has planned more shrewdly for our future?